0: Live.
1: Welcome everybody tonight to old time rock and roll, and our special rock and roll university show, uh, which we do twice a year. And uh, let me explain how it's going to work. And then, in just about one minute, we'll have uh, the instructor and the, and the students on the line. Uh, basically, what happens here is that everybody is going. We're going to uh, answer some questions. And as we answer the questions, uh, then we'll take it down at a later date, and we will add music to make everybody understand a little bit more about the questions that they gave and the, uh, the that they asked me and the answers that I give them. So, um, Bruce, I think you're on the air. Good evening, Lee. How are you?
2: How are you, Lee?
1: I am absolutely great. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that we have technical problems uh this, earlier this afternoon, we would be perfect.
2: As you know, this is a um, music appreciation course at the university level, and is at Alvernia University, and this course is History of Early Rock and Roll. And with that in mind, our first student is Berdine, and she has uh, one or two questions for you that she would like to ask you in regards to what we've been studying. And we'll go right uh, down the line. Okay, Lee?
1: Uh, I'm all ready. Okay, I'm, Berdine, I'm listening. Yeah, all right. Uh,
2: I actually have two questions. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Beatles. And what I want to know
1: is what is your favorite Beatles song and why? My favorite Beatles song would have to be something. And as for why, it just hits home. Uh, And and you know what? It's interesting because uh, I I was just speaking with a former Pennsylvania native uh, by the name of Bobby Rydell, who was a big singer, uh, very popular in the 50s and 60s. And uh, I, I said the same thing to him, whoever sings that song, I like it. I liked it by uh, Elvis when he did it, I liked it by Bobby when he did it, and I loved it when the Beatles did it. So just it's just one of those songs that hits you right in the gut. That's the only way I can describe it to you.
2: The Beatles
3: or the Rolling Stones?
1: Oh, everybody asks me that question. Well, I'm going to give you two separate answers. If you would have asked me in 1964 and five, I would have said the Rolling Stones. Today, I would have to say the Beatles. They're great. <laughs> yeah, but you see you see, the thing is here is that the difference is in the perception of the individual. After being and, and listening to the Rolling Stones for 40, 50 years and the Beatles for 40, 50 years, the answer is whose music has really stood the test of time, and the answer is the Beatles, not to say that that uh, the Rolling Stones are not still performing and still doing a great job and everything, but their music has changed, and with with the Beatles, of course, they didn't have a chance to change their music. They're gone. But the Rolling Stones continued to grow, and I didn't grow with them. That's the best way I can describe it to you.
4: Hey, everybody, this is Lee Douglas. As a listener of old-time rock and roll, I know that you love the 50s and 60s as much as I do. Well, I've found the place for all of us. It's called Lacey's Past and Presents, With tens of thousands of 45s, LPs, cassettes, and even 8-tracks and collectibles, they have what you want. Their price is great. Their selection, incredible. Their service, phenomenal. Want to see what they've got? Log in to laceys vinylg Dot com. That's lacesvinyl.gem.com. If have something you're looking for, you could email them at laces1953 at earthlink.net. Or dial toll free 866-656-1953. And if you live in the Central Florida area, visit them at 121 West Plant Street, Wintergarten. Whether it's in person or on the web visit this wonderland of 1950s and 60s memorabilia. I know you're going to love it.
2: Lee, next up we have Catherine.
4: Hi, Catherine.
2: Hello, how are you?
1: I am, couldn't be better. I'm ready to hear any and all questions. Okay. My question has to do with the death of Paul and the Beatles' breakup. When fans found hidden messages in Strawberry Fields Forever, I buried Paul in a backward message. I guess I'm talking about back masking. What was your impression of the Beatles then? Well, uh, again, when the Beatles got into their uh, more psychedelic mode, uh, they turned me off. And um, to say the least, the songs of that era did not – I did not find them enjoyable until probably 20 years later. What? And – they did mask masking. Why would they put that out there to their fans? Because they were actually led to believe that Paul was killed in an accident. I don't believe that was at all a possibility. Uh, in my own opinion, and we've gone, they've gone through this many, many times. And in fact, uh, Larry King had Paul McCartney on uh, on the, the, his show many times. Asked the same question. He said that's that's just something that that was uh, perpetrated. It was a scam. It was. It was like so many other things that they do in, in uh, the world of, of popular music and and entertainment. They the public the publicists do these things, and they don't mean anything. Honestly, it's it's uh, the idea that these things that happen they they're just made up. They they want to keep the interest of the, of the fans, and they do. That's why here it is after after all these years, and they're still talking. You're still talking about it. It's just they did their job. They really did.
2: Next, we have
1: Shelby. Hi, Shelby.
2: She's making her way to the room, right in front of the room.
1: <laughs> it can't be that big a room. I've been in classrooms.
2: Uh, this is a pretty big one.
1: Alice. Oh, okay. hi. My first question is jazz-based. Um, I found a reference to Miles Davis being nicknamed the Prince of Darkness. Do you know why? Well, you're 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 pushing yourself out of my out of my comfort zone. Um
5: uh, and ha- answer. any questions? <laughs> oh, sure, I don't
1: mind the questions. I just you know this is I'm rock and roll. I'm fifties and sixties rock and roll. Now Miles Davis, uh, I know his work well, but honestly, I I could not answer the, the the question with any bit of intelligence.
2: Okay. Um.
1: My second question is why. Do you think rock operas were so popular in the late 60s? Well, uh like everything else, um as your your instructor will tell you, uh opera is probably the hardest um musical commodity to sell. And the idea of the music and the people like like uh, the Who and of uh, in my opinion, um the as to come later, um, Queen, uh, th- this kind of stuff just um, was just one of those extra, you know, those extra steps. And where some of the groups were just getting more um, outlandish with their with their songs and their hairdos and everything else, uh, the rock opera was was kind of legitimizing the time and the and the type of music. Because by saying it's a rock opera, it was almost like in the 1930s and 40s, there was something called an operetta, and an operetta was a more popular vein of music. The music wasn't, first of all, it wasn't usually in a foreign language, so more people could understand it, and um, it usually came with a story you could understand, and it was in English. So... I think the rock opera was almost like an offshoot of the operetta, and that is that it was popular music of the time, and they brought it up to date by using this this terminology rock opera. In reality, it was not a rock opera. It was as much a musical as it was a rock opera. It just depends on on the terminology that you want to use.
4: Vacation. Every year it seems to get more and more expensive. It takes working harder and longer at your job to pay off your last vacation. Well, no more. I found a deal from Vacation Consultants International that will change all of that. You can spend five days and four nights at one of two resorts in Cancun, Mexico for $399. Not per person, not per night, but $399 total. Sound good? Let's make it even better. It is all inclusive. Not for two, but up to four people, including all of your food, drinks, tips, and taxes. Everything. And your sightseeing and tours are discounted by up to 50%. Want to hear more about this incredible deal? Call 1-877-251-4595 and get all the details. Let's sweeten the pot. How about two children under the age of 12 free? And mention the offer code, Old Time Rock and Roll, and receive an extra bonus. You can buy this package now and you will have up to 18 months to make your travel plans. This offer is very limited, so call today 877 251 4595 The only other thing you have to pay for is your airfare. Call now and reserve your vacation at either the Sandoz Playa Car Beach Resort or the Sandoz Caracos Echo Resort and Spa for just $399. In fact, I'm packing my bags right now.
2: Tough question so far, Miles yeah, Davis. Glad you like
1: uh, Miles Davis. My goodness, what? I got to find that out myself. I'll give you an answer.
2: Okay. Our next uh, student is Jen. Uh, my first one is: Where did you
1: first get your start in radio? Like what station? Well, <laughs> uh, my start in radio actually developed out of um my desire to to put back oldies on radio, and uh, although I have a background in television and in itself uh, and theater in itself, and being uh, on the television show with Alan Freed and all these great stars of the fifties and sixties, uh, my actual radio experience didn't start until nineteen uh nineteen until two thousand and six. And I actually went on the air on October third, or two thousand six, with an absolutely great amount of songs, and absolutely no idea what the heck I was doing. (laughs) And uh, within, and for some reason, and it's never been as good as it was. These lousy shows, and I honestly say they were lousy. Within a month, I was getting 25,000 listeners. And I don't understand it. And I don't understand it till today. Almost like people would rather see you clumsy and, and awkward than be smooth. That's very strange. I don't understand it myself. But uh, that's, that's it. I've been in this business as, as a disc jockey for four years. My second question is, what's your most memorable experience in all your time with radio, television? Wow, um, that's that's hard. I guess um, the first time that I went on, um, I guess it was WNEW TV, in 1958, Alan Freed had his show called The Big Beat, and we had already uh, kind of known each other because I, I was always one of those people that questioned everything. And Alan Freed was the type of guy, type of disc jockey, unlike others of, of this day, that really cared about his listeners and the kids. And when he saw me there, he gave me, uh he almost, he like boosted my, I guess, I don't want to say, I don't know how to exactly put it, but he boosted my ego uh, amongst the other kids and the girls on that dance show because... Here, here he was treating me like I was an old friend, and it really was one of the greatest um, feelings in the world. And then to to have him sit there and introduce me to people like Jackie Wilson and uh, and Jerry Lee Lewis, it was just, it was like a kid growing up just in in a wonderland situation. Because, you know, everybody at that time, everybody went crazy over these singers, and uh, as they do today, although they don't have the same reason to, in my opinion. But uh, I'm sure somebody's going to touch on that later. But uh, this was probably the greatest moment moment that I ever had. we was standing there with Alan Freed next to him um, on that television show way back in 1958.
0: Mean as she can be
6: Yeah I got a woman Mean as she can be Some of the times I think she's almost Mean as me Well I ain't bragging It's understood Everything I do But I
0: sure do it good I got a woman Mean as she can be Uh Some of the times I think she's almost Mean as me Yeah So yeah, if I got
1: is why got you so interested in music, and did your father or mother were they interested first uh, you have to go well my brother was a great deal older than I was, matter of fact, he was thirteen years older than I was, so uh, when I was very, very young, he was into singers like uh al jolson dick Haymes. um to a lesser degree, Frank Sinatra. I don't think he was one of his favorites. And um, I picked up at a very early age because we lived in a very small apartment in Brooklyn, and I, I picked up his music. And I heard it night after night, day after day, he would play these songs. And by the time I was six years old, <clears throat> I did a great impersonation of Al Jolson. <laughs>
3: Yesterday I heard a lover sigh, goodbye, Omi oh, Oma. Oh, seven times he got aboard his train, and seven times he hurried back to kiss his love again and tell her, tut tut goodbye. Tut tut tutsi, don't cry. That choo train that takes me. He... Away from you, no one can tell how sad it makes me, kiss me it, and then do it over again. Watch for the nail, I'll never fail, if you don't get a letter, then you'll know I'm in jail. Tut tut touchie don't cry, Tut tut touchie goodbye. And then do it over again. Watch for the mail. I'll never fail. If you don't get a letter, then you'll know I'm in jail. Goodbye, <inaudible> goodbyes, don't, don't cry. Goodbye, goodbyes, goodbye. And I
1: and actually by the time my, my brother left for college, I was only eight years old. And uh, it became so interesting because he left so much of his record collection home with him. And I continued to play them, and I continued to, to be interested. And uh, it was that way. He kind of got me into everything. He got me into old-time radio listening and, uh, and music. And in truth, he became a, a disc jockey, uh, a sports announcer uh, in the uh, Springfield, Illinois area, um, after after that, and he never came back home, really. But uh, he was the, the main reason for me having such a great interest in music. All right, my first question is, uh, do you think Elvis would still have been as popular t- today as, if he would have lived? Uh, wow, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that... People like him just like in the uh just like Frank Sinatra, they just have something about them that that uh endures um whether or not of course once Colonel tom Parker passed away uh i don't know if his if his um life would have been in, have the same meaning and and be uh in in the same um area because Parker just about uh took his life and told him what to do. In fact, if it wasn't for Tom Parker, uh, he would never have married Priscilla because uh, he didn't want to. He had no idea in his head of marrying Priscilla at all. matter of fact, at the time that uh, all this happened, he really was kind of in love with Anne Margaret. But um, Colonel Tom said, marry that girl. You put her in there. Everybody expects you to. And you're going to marry her. And he did. Well, honey, I love you
0: too much. I need your love you too much. Who are my fellow? You're a tough fellow. Gee, I could love you too much. You. Want
6: Yeah. your arms, take me back, oh baby. In your arms, like to hear you crying even though.
0: Broken hearted, gonna love you, gonna much.
2: Thank you. So uh, uh, My next question, I'm going back yeah. off one of the questions I actually sent you. I had uh, sure. one other one written,
4: but I, I, because listen earlier, you were talking about the stones, okay? Yes.
1: And uh, in my question, because I listened to Guitar Legends, episode 71, and I had mm-hmm. a question about some of the guitar greats that you missed, and you said some of them were later on that wouldn't coincide with your show. Right. You said you didn't like Keith Richards, okay? But, all right, here and there. Uh, in the 60s, who would you think was the most innovative guitarist of the time? Oh, Jimi Hendrix, without a doubt. Um, but, again, I didn't you, – you see, again, Jimi Hendrix turned me off. His music was great, but I didn't care for him. But, you know, the fact that he started with Little Richard back in 1958, uh, gave his work the background it needed. But again, see, this is a personal preference thing. I didn't like, uh, Jimi Hendrix, I, I, because I was a, I guess I was born like, like, uh, I know your, 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 uh, instructor there is a, uh, is a very good, very big conservative. Uh, I don't know if he's ever spewed out his his intelligence with you in, on uh, political issues, but uh, I was even a, a conservative back when I was in my, my 20s. And I found the lifestyle that he was uh, endorsing to be something that I, I couldn't handle, and I I just didn't listen to his music. That's not to say he still wasn't a great guitarist, because... He was absolutely the most innovative. Uh, there was only three that, in my opinion, are innovative. That was, uh, that was Les Paul in 19, in the 50s, uh, Bo Diddley and Jimi Hendrix. They did things with guitars that were never done before in their day.
2: my politics, with my students, because uh, if they're younger than me, they could probably whoop in <laughs> Marcy? Okay. Hi, Lee. Um, How are you? Good. How are you?
1: Great.
2: My question is, going off of one that actually I asked you
0: to about, Alan Freed, you said that he was a good role model and a, a true friend. How did he yes.
2: and his wife influence you in the music um, music business, I guess?
1: Well, like I said before... Uh, Alan Freed was not like any other disc jockey or human being, actually. Uh, he had his problems. He did have his bad side, his downside, but I never saw him um, treat a a fan poorly, and that can't be said of, of a lot of other people. And uh, to give you an example, when Alan Freed – if you would talk to Alan Freed um, – and you met him in the street. Many would would say, "I'm sorry, guys, I don't have any time to talk to you now." Or they have one of their people say, "You know, come on, back off. Sorry, can't. Uh, he's, he's busy. He's got an appointment with Alan Freed." He would stop. He would give you an autograph, and he would talk to you. In fact, um, I, I guess he received probably two thousand, three thousand letters a week from fa- from kids. Um, with their problems. They said, I can't talk to my parents, and they asked them the questions. And he and his wife sat down and wrote answers to every single letter. And 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 if you had a problem and they saw you, like when we were on the, the television show, they would take the time to respond to you and make sure you were okay. That's the type of people they were. Not only Alan, but his wife. And... um Allen was also a great friend, and that is why he is not here today, because his friendship would not allow him to push these people that he'd known for so many years under the bus. When the Payola scandal broke, um, every disc jockey, with the exception of Freed, turned actually what they call state's evidence so that they could get uh, immunity from prosecution. Alan Freed refused, and it cost him his career, and ultimately, about four years later, he died from uh, sclerosis of the liver. But the man was a phenomenon in the way he handled situations. If there was something bad that was said about him, or they tried to to uh, railroad him like they did back in uh, when he was still in Cleveland back in 1953... Uh, They accused him of all types of things, and he got on the air. He didn't play music for two solid hours. He sat there, and he talked to his listeners, explaining, if you weren't at the show, here's what happened, and uh, if you are interested, you know, and he said, if you believe what I'm saying to you, come on down to the studio, and the next night, there was almost 5,000 people standing outside the studio for him, and this is just the type of person he was, and what I got out of him was just to to treat my fans and my listeners. I hate to say fans because that means I'm doing something special. But my listeners uh if they ask a question, I answer it uh, if they if they um, send me an email within twelve hours, they have an email response. If they request a song, I will play that song uh, it, and if they ask for more than that, I give them more than that. And, in fact, I just spoke to a, a, a person that um, is well-known in the 60s. Uh, you may not remember him. His name is Paul Evans. He was uh, he, he wrote a couple of very, very big hits, one especially called Seven Little Girls Sitting in the Backseat, and it was uh, quite one of the biggest hits in the 1950s. And I, he actually contacted me because one of my listeners actually – Wrote him about a song that he had heard on my show, and then proceeded to tell this singer how great I was. And it was it was so it was embarrassing in a way, but uh, he actually contacted me saying, "If this guy is this good, I certainly want to do an interview on your show." So you know, it's just it's just uh, the way I am paying back what Alan Freed did for me.
5: My uh, second question was, I listened to your podcast about the covers. I'm the one that wrote to did any artist ever do a cover of his own
1: song? Yes. So I listened to your podcast. I was just wondering, how do you go about picking your topics or the subject for your podcast? Oh, that's probably the the wildest uh, answer I could could give you because I don't have an answer for you. Um, I do things on the spur of the moment. For example, I was driving through um, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and um, my wife happened to say, oh, you know what, I love magic shows. Let's go to that magic show. And I said, okay, let's go to this magic show. And then I began thinking, well, how many songs are there that that have magic in the title? And I went home and I researched and I found out there must have been about 60 or 70. Well, I said, that's a good... That's how I get. That's how I get them. I just come up with with ideas out of the top of my head. Um, I do different shows. I try not to do the same type of show too often because the the thing that killed oldies radio was the fact that everything was not new. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but you see, in oldies radio, in the last ten years or fifteen years or maybe more, uh, was based on five hundred songs and uh, it, what it was is in new york city back in the in the late 60s early 70s uh, wcbs radio which was a cbs affiliate it was the largest and most popular fm station in the country and they put out an album of the 500 greatest hits at that time and what happened was that most of the the songs were terrible they, they and they couldn't at that time um do what they call digitize them and make them better. So they got every one of these singers to come into the studio and re-record the records. So they were all different, but these were 500 songs. And what happened is that every oldie station in the country bought that album, and they would play those 500 songs over and over and over and over again. And they used them as a loop. They stopped even getting disc jockeys, they just played the, these songs in a loop. And people got tired of it. And you get tired of it, you stop listening. And this is what killed all these radio. Uh, my deal is I only play the song, one song, three times in a year. Unless it's requested. So, and I have 110,000 songs that I can pull from. So I don't have to play these songs over and over again. And, this makes it a lot easier for me to do shows now. Right now, I'm doing duop shows every month because people go crazy over duop, and nobody can nobody hears that other than the the original hundreds duop songs that they play. You know, over and over again. Nobody knows anything about duop other than the the really hardcore duop fans. So I do a show where I ask. Everybody on Facebook, basically, they come in and they send me their list of of uh, the letters of the alphabet. For example, uh, groups, uh, last month we did A. So I, I found 40 doo groups that started with the letter A. And I did this month with B, and then so on. And uh, sometimes I just come up with an idea, um, just hits me and I come up with uh, an idea of doing a girl's show or a, an answer record show, which is probably my favorite. I don't know if you know what an answer record is, do you? I'm going to ask you a question. I
5: don't.
1: Okay. Uh, an answer song was a 50s and 60s uh, staple, and what happened is you had a great record, a great popular record, like uh, Save the Last Dance for Me or um, Are You Lonesome Tonight, and somebody would take the same music and change the words answering the song. Actually saying, yes, I'm lonesome tonight, or uh, yes, I'll save the last dance for you.
7: You can dance Every dance with the guy who gives you the eye Let him hold you tight You can smile Every smile for the man who held your hand Need to tell the light but don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're gonna be. So darling, say the last dance for me. Mm. Oh, I know let oh, the music's yes. fine, like sparkling oh, wine. Go and have your yes, fun. I oh, I know laugh and sing. Yes, I know. But while we're all oh, apart, don't give your yes, heart to anyone. Oh, But don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're going to be. So darling, say the last dance for me. Mm. Baby, don't you know I love you so? Can't you feel it when we touch? I will never, never let you go. I love you oh so much. You can dance, you can go and carry on Till the night is gone and it's time to go If he asks, if you're all alone Can he take you home, you must tell him no Cause don't forget he's taking you home And in his arms you're gonna be So darling, save the last dance for me Cause don't forget who's taking you home And in whose arms you're gonna be So darling, say the last dance for me Mm, Say the last dance for me
1: would get hits on it. So there were probably, uh, probably 100 to 150 that well, I would put in the category of answer records. And uh, oh, oh, this is a thing that has not been seen since the 1960s. So that's what an answer record is.
2: Okay. Well, thank you.
1: Not a problem.
2: Lee, I just want to comment. I think you know what you're doing is marvelous because in our market area, We've lost our oldie stations from the Allentown area, mm-hmm. and um, they're, they're hard to find in this area. And um, what you're doing is not only you know, keeping the music alive, but bringing the history back to life of uh, what life was like in the 50s and 60s and what culture was like and what made these people write this kind of music and sing this kind of music. And I, well, I think it's truly a gift that you're giving everybody.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Bruce. We've been uh, we've known each other a couple of years already, and uh, but you know what? This is um, it is my pleasure because you know what? There is very little money in this for me. It is all for the pleasure of getting people to hear these records and and appreciate these singers and songs that that are gone, and uh, that is my whole, whole total motivation for this. If it was for money, I would have been out of it by November of, of 2006.
2: I think most artists are the same way. If the money comes, that's great, but you, you're, you're not in the arts. You don't expect to make money in it. You do it for the love of the, of, of the art form. And that's right.
1: Only only Bruce Marionelli, the pianist, makes uh, money.
2: Yeah, right. Well, I just <laughs> wanted to know. I didn't tell my students this tonight, but in order for them to get out the door, I'm passing the basket. There's a $50 minimum to get out the door, and we're going to send the, do- the proceeds and donations to you. Uh-huh. Oh, hey,
1: you got that. You, I'm I'm up for that. Anytime. <laughs> They're
2: all looking at me like, oh, boy. <laughs> Our next student
1: is Lisa. Hi, Lisa. How are you?
2: Good. How are you? Good. My first question is, seeing how uh, rock and roll influenced its listeners, um, what is your view on today's music and the influence it has?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> you don't want – am I supposed to curse on this show? <laughs>
2: It's
1: your podcast. You can do whatever you like. <laughs> All right. Um, well, what can I, let's, as the, I can't remember where I heard it. Oh, yes. Uh, a, a very famous um, ventriloquist by the name of Edgar Bergen, and he had a, a dummy which, without being able to even be a good ventriloquist, uh, he made him a world-famous uh, personality. And I'll never forget his line. I say, why mix words? junk is junk. Okay, and that's the only thing I can say. Um, I have found music over the past 20 years to be insipid. Don't look that up. Um, I, cons- <laughs> I consider it to be um, personally uh, insulting, degrading to people. Uh, I consider the, the performers to be Um, trashy at the best and other words I won't even use at their worst Um, I I can you know my my wife and I love American Idol we have been watching together since uh, Idol went on the air the last two years I'll never forget last year I never turned that show off ever Uh, One year later, I forget who it was, it may have been that Lady Gaga, Uh, she got on stage, you know, she was doing her song, and she sat up on the stage making love to the the speakers. And I just turned it off. I said, if this is music, I'm in the wrong place. (laughs) I mean, this is, I'm sorry, but uh, you know what, I I asked... Somebody asked me a question once about Michael Jackson. They said, what did you think of Michael Jackson? I said, he's okay. They say, don't you think he's the king of pop? I said, all right, so he's the king of pop. Do you think he's a great singer? And they say, yeah, he's one of the best. I said, no great singer in history had to grab their crotch every 30 seconds. (laughs) So I'm, I'm sorry, you get the idea? I mean... I like, you know, my and my wife is a Michael Jackson fan, always was, but you have to think, why did he do that? Did it excite the fans? It sure didn't excite him, evidently. Uh, but I, I just, I, I don't, I just don't know how to explain it to you, other than to say that I, I have, music has turned me off over the last twenty years. All
2: right, well, my second question
1: is not so bad. Oh, that's okay. I don't mind. I love questions. The more I can say and spout off, the better I feel.
2: <laughs> we did a tour of our local radio station and seen that most of their,
1: their work is pre-recorded. How many yes. hours do you perform live? Okay, no, I pre-record too. This is the truth. But you see, let me explain what pre-recording is. What they do is they use what they call a loop. And they, they have a loop that is pre-recorded where they play uh, 25, 30, 40 songs, and they play it in a loop. So if you come in at a certain time of day, uh, another time of the day, you're coming back, you hear the same songs. And to give you an example, my wife and I took a trip over the summer. We went from Orlando to Sarasota, which is approximately three hours. And when we passed by Tampa, they have an oldie station. And the oldies, of course, now, they don't even play the 50s much, but, uh, and I was, and we listened to the songs, and, and my wife would say, oh, that's not bad, that's not bad, that's not bad. That's not, you know, too bad, because she doesn't like the real old stuff, like I do. She's a lot younger than I am, naturally. Uh, but, so, on the way back, a week later, we were coming home late at night, and the songs came on, the same ones, one after another after another. And then they just break once in a while for a commercial or station break, a few announcements, and then back to the same songs. And these songs are continually played to death until some other songs come out that the radio stations feel that the people who are listening to them want to hear. So they kind of change these, and they change them by doing what we call focus groups, So focus groups come in, and they play a bunch of songs. And then they they want you to say, if you've heard this song, check here. If you like this song, check here. If you're tired as hell of this song, check here. And and that's how they actually get their playlists. And they they do them over and over and over again. And that's what they do. When I pre-record, I pre-record it whereas I do two shows a week. And I do my show, I prepare my show, and then I play those records that are on my playlist. So I consider it going live, and I could do that live, but I I have too much respect for my listeners. So if I'm going to sit there and go, and I do, by the way, sometimes my Brooklyn trained voice comes through. And I say things like, utter, or, you know, and and I just can't stand that. And sometimes I'll go, uh, 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 and I don't want to hear that. And I don't think my listeners want to hear it. So by taking it, after I record it, I clean it up. I take out all the little muffs and fluffs that I do, and I make it more appealing to my listeners. So that is the reason for me going... Not live, but what I call recording it or pre-recording it. When they mean pre-recording, they mean every single song that they play is on a long digital loop. Okay, I hope I explained that to you, to your satisfaction. Yep.
2: Okay. thank you. When we were at the radio station, there was a uh, – the pers- one of the personalities was in there, and what he was doing, stopping back from his regular job and, I guess, doing his show, putting his – his vocal parts into it, what he wanted to say and things that he wanted to do, and that would be interspersed throughout the music. So that's where the pre-recorded. I think she's coming from is what he was doing. Yeah,
1: but see, that's the whole thing is pre-recorded. You know, I mean, it's it's just there's no there's nothing live anymore because other than talk radio, there is no live anymore on radio. It's a, it's one of those dying art forms.
2: Right, <clears throat> but that's what you know, and and. I've had several classes now to that to the radio station, and it's amazing. Nothing is, you're right, nothing is live anymore. It's a it's time delay and a, and a feed from somewhere, and the DJs just come in after work, spend whatever time they need to uh, put their voice on the recording, and then the show plays whenever it's scheduled to play. And you're right, and it's right. Not live. And if somebody calls into the studio, you're not going to get the DJ or, who, or the personality or whoever.
1: Right, and in fact... Uh, most of these DJs today are are, are part time, right? And because I have somebody that that uh, also is up in Pennsylvania somewhere that is a a part time uh, disc jockey, and he's very frustrated. But you know, it's money,
2: right? And I know this radio station is a it's locally owned. It's not one of the big conglomerates. It's a mom and pop. It's a mom and pop uh, radio station. And yeah, well,
1: why aren't they carrying old-time rock and roll? Ask them.
2: Because uh, people here don't want to hear it.
1: Oh, but au oh, contraire, mon frere, they do want to hear it. They just don't know it because but they haven't told. This is at,
2: this, at this AM station, is talk radio uh, in the morning. They have, uh, it's mostly community-based, and there's uh, some music being played. I don't listen to it. Now, they have a sister station, an FM station,
1: which plays the, what, top, top 40? Okay. But, Bruce, Bruce, here's the thing. If if somebody were to prove that to me, I'll stop. I'll stop complaining. You see, they can't prove it. They say nobody's interested in all these music, but they're not proving it.
2: So I don't think it, that, that, that that's a truism. I think people are interested in it. They're just not collected in one specific market area where it would make, the radio, make it feasible for the radio stations to sell ads. And I'm on oh, base on that.
1: I, I would absolutely disagree with you because, and, look, I'm, a, I'm an especially here in Florida. We have a great deal of, of, of older people. I said that nicely. Um, but And they still don't have any oldie stations. And the reason is because... They don't care about the people. They only care about making money. And this is what because I guarantee you, I matter of fact, have have already challenged a couple of stations here in town. Prove it to me. Put me on the air for one month free. I'll I'll do the show free. You go ahead, sell your ads. If that if you can prove to me within that month or so that nobody is is listening, then I'll go away quietly. But I'm telling you, there is a there's a place for this radio, but it's just not thought about by the people. They don't, you know. If you don't hear it every every time somebody from Orlando sees me or and speaks to me, says, "Oh, you're Lee Douglas. Why is it that we can't get a radio station in town? Why is nobody playing oldies?" And I, I say, I can't answer you. They don't want, they don't play it because the, they say the money's not there. Now here's the, here's the ridiculousness of this. The people between the ages of 50 and 70 have the largest amount of disposable income of any segment of the population. Now, the station manager at the local Clear Channel station here comes to me by saying, "Yeah, they have the greatest number, they have the greatest disposable income, but they don't want to spend their money." And then I said, "Oh, really? Take a look at your, at the Cadillacs as they drive by in the street." He said, "Why is it that people over seven, over 65 are driving Cadillacs?" Because finally, once in their life, they can afford them. And, and this is the whole point I'm trying to bring out, that we have the greatest population uh, that can afford things, and they're willing to buy, and yet they're being serviced by AM talk radio. And they think that that's the only place that these people want to go, because they're not given the alternative. It's that simple.
2: Well, I hope we. I hope you can change it down there. Maybe if we start one section of the country, we can, you know, get it, you know, snowballing to Well, well
1: I, I. We tried that, you know. There was a group. There's a guy out uh, that actually is the uh, announcer for the Sean Hannity show, and his name is uh, Scott uh, Scott Shannon, and he does the introduction for for uh, Sean Hannity's show. And Scott is a disc jockey, and he uh, bought a lot of uh, radio stations, and he's been beaming what they call the True Oldies Channel, or the Real Oldies Channel. I forget what it is. I think it's True Oldies. And uh, he's been, he's been uh, feeding it to satellite all across the country to, student, to uh, other radio stations. And, again, what is he doing? He's playing the same songs on a loop. Mm-hmm. over and over again, and when some of my listeners suggested to Scott that they ought to put me on old, real oldies radio or true oldies radio, he said, oh, no, we're not interested in his kind of music because nobody wants to hear the 50s anymore.
2: Oh. That,
1: that's... And so there you go. Okay. Well,
2: you know, we're about 15 minutes left, and I have several students that have questions. All
1: right. I've been spouting off too much. Now listen.
2: Our next
1: one is Jessica. All right, Jessica, how are you?
2: Good, how are you?
1: Great, great. Let's go. I'm ready.
3: Okay, I'm ready, too. Um, I'd like to know what your opinion was on the British invasion,
2: including, like, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Like, how did you think they impacted our rock and roll music and our American youth?
1: Well, they, uh, you know what? In the, in the uh, early 60s, when they came over, which would be 64, um, 65, it was kind of a, a, a laugh. The Beatles, when they came over, it was a laugh. It didn't take them long to stop laughing because, yes, it was a great, had a great impact on music. And, in fact, what you didn't see at the beginning of the 60s uh, was the amount of uh, really true musical talent there was. Uh, the, the McCartney and Lennon, the ability to, to write songs, beautiful songs like they did, That you know was in the in the the fifties and before that was done by songwriters. Now you had singers and performers who were songwriters, and that was something new that happened in the sixties. There were a few in the fifties, but not as many. Uh, And as time went on, this this became you begin to change the difference between a singer and an artist, and and that's where it began. Uh the change in the music of course, uh they changed the psychedelicness as they hit the seventies and then it, it uh mellowed and then it got louder and more raucous and that's fine. I loved um acid rock and I loved um heavy metal. I really enjoyed listening to that. And and that was fine. But when that ceased in my opinion, music really died. Yeah. Because the stuff that's around today is awful. It really is. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to insult anybody because I know some of you are, are quite a bit younger than I am. But, my God, if, if, if you realized the perception that I have and, and where I get it, you know, you can't see from being there. No more than I could see when, when people in the 50s were saying, how could you listen to rock and roll music? It's it's going to make you into a criminal. Okay, I couldn't see beyond what why they were saying that. Now I can sit back and see where it might they might have gotten that opinion. But and I watched in the sixties how oh the music was was promoting drug use, and and yet when I I can't see that when you're inside it. And now what I can see uh, not being on the inside. Is that number one? Every single soo- song sounds alike, and I can't tell one artist from the other because the background music is so similar. The uh, the instruments that are used, and uh, somebody wrote me—I don't remember who—right right off the bat asked me about uh, um, how many so- how many times people, um, re- you know, took takes on different songs. And and I had answered that they did sometimes 15, 20 takes. Today, you don't have to do that. Today's musicians go in, they shoot a take, and then they go ahead into the studio, and they do whatever they want with it. They can speed it up. They can slow it down. They can make it higher. They can make it lower. They can change the beat. They can change the tempo. They can do anything they want, and the the singer never has to do another take. If they want to add background music, they can add background music. Nothing has has to be done again, really. Um, Did many artists in the 50s create their own lyrics, or did they depend on songwriters? Well, I think I kind of answered that in in, in a way just before. Uh, It it really depended. Uh, You had uh, people like Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, um, even Johnny Cash. Basically, could not write a song. They didn't know how. Um, but then you had singers like um, Roy Orbison, uh, who, who wrote their own, who wrote their music. Uh, it's really kind of a mixed bag. Uh, Chuck Berry wrote more when he wrote his own lyrics. He was at the top of his game when he stopped writing because he didn't have the time and went into more performing. His music lost the popularity of in his fans because his music was written in his head. And so you had the same with, with different performers. Um, Little Richard did, usually didn't write his own songs. Fat Domino didn't write his own songs. Jackie Wilson didn't write his own songs. Elvis didn't write his own songs. Jerry Lee Lewis didn't write his own songs. Then you have someone like Paul Anker comes along and writes his own music. Uh, you know, it's it's just, and it, just again, um, Bobby Rydell in the 60s, Frankie Avalon in the 60s, Fabian, they couldn't write their own songs. It's just a matter of the individual singer. Uh, if they have that, that talent, and it is a great talent, then they use it. Most of them are not. Uh, the people like the Beatles, you know, they, they really, really had something uh, special to be able to write the music. And they all couldn't write it. You know, Ringo couldn't. Ringo was lucky he could play the drums. Uh, he couldn't write music. But uh, Lennon and McCartney, definitely the best. They have to be the best songwriters of the 1960s and 70s, no doubt about it. But, um, again, it'll always be, and it's very hard sometimes to tell, but most of the songs are written
2: by songwriters. Okay. And then the second question is, which is like kind of the adaptation of that, is where did the inspiration for the lyrics come from?
1: Uh, it's hard to say. Um, you know, some songs, you, you have no clue how they come up with these titles. I mean, for example, uh, the biggest musical uh, duo in the 1950s, as far as songwriters, was Lieber and Stoller. They wrote a great many songs for Elvis. They wrote a great many songs for the Coasters. But how do you say, uh, well, I'm going to call this song Charlie Brown or Poison Ivy? Uh, it, it's just, you know, songwriters are a different breed. And in their head, they don't think like we do. That's the best way to describe it. Uh, and, and, you know, how do you get a song where somebody writes and calls it itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini? You know, there's or seven little girls sitting in the back seat, kissing and hugging with Fred. I mean, you know, unless you're demented or, or Stephen King uh you don't think in weird ways like that. But they did and uh how did, how they came up with these titles, some you could understand. When you come to love songs, you can understand. You know, My Eyes Adored You. That that kind of song you can understand where people are coming from. But when you come up with a song that in you know, like Charlie Brown, which the Coasters did it was a big hit for Lieber and Stoller, uh there's no Saying where they got the idea for their lyrics. And they just... beep Z, 5, 5, 4, 4, I smell smoke in the
0: auditorium Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown He's a clown, and that Charlie Brown He's gonna get drunk, just
5: you wait
0: and
3: see Why is everybody always picking on me? Everybody always picking on me Who's always riding on the wall? on me
1: show, but me. Um, My show is basically, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to appear cocky. I don't want to appear arrogant. Nobody can do my show because nobody has the love for the music that I have. And if they do, they'd be on the air. And there are a lot of people on the Internet that do have this great desire to do this. Uh, You know, so there's... I'm sure I wouldn't be that missed but um, my show is my show and I can't give it to somebody and say take it my son couldn't care less about my music you know and and it just it, it will never work I mean when I go if I can't do the show the show will die and somebody else will pick up and do another show somewhere else somewhere down the line I, I don't think it's uh, um, anything that that's transferable, because my show is different than most of the other oldie shows. Some of the oldie shows that are around, uh, they still use the same um, what we call delivery as they did back in the 50s, and it doesn't fit. You know, when you're talking to a 50 or 60 or 70-year-old person, you don't say, hey, guys and girls, this is hot stuff Lee." talking to you and coming from this and this place. You can't do that. But this is what they do. Hey, I'm cool, Bobby D. No, you're not. You know, this is what this is what's uh they're trying to do because this is the way it was back in the fifties and sixties. And I can't do that. I have to be myself. I bring the only thing I bring to my to my listeners is I bring reality. I bring friendship and I bring warmth. And that's what I'm trying to convey through the music. Can't do anything else. So, if anybody else would take over my show, it would be a different show entirely. It wouldn't be mine. Okay,
2: hey, thank you. you have yeah,
1: have Janine? Question is, if the Beatles never would have come over from England, would other bands like the Stones and Led Zeppelin be successful? If they didn't come over?
4: If they
1: would have never came over. Uh huh. Uh, that's hard to say. It, it's, it would be my, my own personal feelings rather than anything else. Uh, personally, I think that if the Beatles didn't come over, but the music was still popular, yeah. I think it would have come. Uh, whether it would have come is the same way, I don't know. Whether or not, I don't even consider, you see, I don't consider Led Zeppelin part of the same era as the Beatles, even though they ended up almost, you know, when the Beatles were through and Wings and all that were coming into play, then Led Zeppelin came out. I, and I love Led Zeppelin, by the way, uh, I don't, I don't think it would have mattered because so many, if a song is popular, it really transcends. To give you an example, um, a couple of, only a couple of songs in history did it, but there was a song back in 1958-59 called Volare. It was sung by an Italian singer uh, called Domenico Mondugno, and he sang the entire song in Italian. And it was, a, it was an interesting song. It was a good song. He came over from, from Italy to sing it on the Ed Sullivan Show. They loved him. He never had another hit. But that was a, a special song. Uh, again, they, there was a song in the, I guess, late 60s, early 70s called Tsukiyaki, and uh, it was all sung in Japanese. If the song hits, it's, it, it, it will transcend, it will pass through, across the ocean. Um, but when a group or a person comes over and, and is so popular, it's just a time. The time may not come again for 15, 20, 25 more years, but it will happen again. Somebody from another country or somebody from back in, in this country that we don't expect will come up with a different type of music, and it'll, it'll be almost a complete circle. But you can't, to say whether or not the, the Beatles would have, uh, if they didn't come over, would any of the others been successful? Yeah, I think so, because the music... Once, for example, if the Rolling Stones continued to be popular as they were in England, as the Beatles were, um, somehow somebody would have said, hey, this is so good, we've got we to bring them over to the United States. Money, is, it, money is, the, is the main factor. And nobody said to the Beatles, uh, you know, John and, Le- and Paul didn't say, uh, let's go over to, to uh, the States. Somebody from the United States who saw that original um, bit of of, um, film that was on the Jack Parr show in 1963 said, you know what, these guys could make us money. Let's see if we can put a tour together. That's how it works. It doesn't work the other way around. They don't say, well, let's see if anybody is interested in our tour. The, the people in the United States came up and said, these guys are good. We can make some money on them. The kids are buying their records. Let's get them over here. So they said, well, we're going to give you X and X amount of dollars. Come on over here. Who's going to say no? So it's it really isn't the group that got them over here, but the enterprising American promoters.
0: So if you had a chance to go back in time and experience –
2: um, any, like, in decade, like, entirely,
1: which one would it be? Absolutely, I'd go back to the 50s, without a doubt. Uh, and, and, and I would make one change in my own uh, way of, of doing things. I should, you know what, I was one of those kids in the 50s and 60s who was totally aimless, and uh i know i'm sure you know several people like this uh in your in your life everybody does i didn't want to do anything and the idea of of uh going into one job or another it really didn't mean anything to me so if i went back into time and into the 50s again and experienced the 50s again i would have i would have changed my focus and been been a disc jockey from the from the beginning And I would have done things a lot differently than I did, as most people would if they had that chance. But the 50s was, and I think I had said this, um, the 50s was a time, the last time, that a child was still a child. That a teenager of 13, 14, 15 was still considered a little child. And we had the opportunity to grow up and not become uh, a, a an adult or a big kid wh- whose brain hasn't yet reached maturity and yet everybody else uh, thinks of you as your is your big kid. Now, if you notice today they, kids today at 13 are 6 foot 2. And when I was when I was 13, if we just hit 5 foot 5, that was that was a big milestone. And I don't know what they're feeding the, the kids or what they're putting in the in the uh, food that we're eating, but it's people are growing larger. And and of course the specific way that we are dealing with um, the the media is putting out so much. I mean I honestly, there's too much sex out there, uh, and it's being uh, aimed at these children at a younger age, and they don't have time to be kids. The last time, the last time I saw somebody playing with a Barbie doll, it was a kid trying to rape it. I'm serious. <laughs> this, this is, we, you just don't have the ability anymore to be a child and stay a child. Uh, a teenager, really, at nine, fifteen, sixteen, you were still considered a little boy or a little girl, and today you are a woman or a or a grown man. This is this is what's hurting. The youth of today, honestly. So, if I just to go back and 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 put it in retrospect, uh, the fifties were the last era where a kid was a kid until we, when you turned eighteen, maybe you were an adult. Maybe. All right. Thank you, everybody, and we'll uh, see you again next week. This is Lee Douglas. That's a wrap. Whoa.
5: Whoa.
7: There's just one thing I'd like to know
0: Is your love still warm for me Or has it grown cold If you should wait in the still of night Please have no fear, for I'll be there, you know I can please give your love to me dear only, good night my love, pleasant dreams, sleep my love
3: May tomorrow be sunny and bright And bring you closer to
0: me If you should
3: My love, may tomorrow be sunny and bright, and bring you closer to
5: me.